This activity is supported by an unrestricted educational grant from Oyster Point. This content was captured during a synchronous virtual symposium. Polling took place during the symposium. Hi, everybody. Dr. Laura Perryman in Seattle, Washington. And this is a fun topic. So yeah, I am so lucky to be joined by two Canadians. This is like, you know, North American Alliance here. This is awesome. Uh, Dr. Jessica Steen, who is an associate professor at uh, Nova Southeastern University College of Optometry in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And Dr. Mila Brujic, he's partner at Premier Vision Group in Bowling Green, Ohio. I'm so lucky that we're here all together. This is awesome. You know, when we think about comparison studies, ultimately what we would love to have for every treatment, for every option is a direct head-to-head -head comparison. And we know that is not the case. We know that is not going to be the case. So is there a contemporary or current way that data can be analyzed across clinical trials to ultimately apply that to our decision-making? So we're going to look at a couple of different strategies that use statistics and analytics to try to iron out these differences in clinical trials, their differences in trial design, the very different inclusion and exclusion criteria that we often see, and the vast differences in efficacy and safety measures. And ultimately, I mean, again, we're comparing different treatments altogether. So the first that we're going to touch on is something called a matched adjusted indirect comparison. And what this tries to do is to compare the relative efficacies of two different studies of two different therapies. And really the first step here is to apply the inclusion and exclusion criteria of a trial of the more restrictive trial to that less restrictive trial. And what this allows is the selection of similar patients with similar baseline characteristics. Really a very important feature is we're trying to evaluate relative efficacy. Now, as this happens, as you can imagine the sample sizes continue to decrease, which includes the filtration of data out of this. And ultimately, remember that this leads to post hoc analysis. And when we're talking about after the fact analysis, we do always have to be cautious about generalizability. We're also going to touch on something called a network meta-analysis. So when we think about a meta-analysis, generally we think about two different treatments in the same disease and comparing those treatments. The network component here really allows us to compare more than two alternatives, which is much more real life. This is reflective of what we do in a clinical environment. We have different options that exist and how, we, how may we select a specific option in a particular scientific or clinical circumstance. And then we're going to really bring this all together and say, well, what if we just evaluate in a comprehensive way the clinical trial data for each treatment, understand the context behind it, and then really utilize that data in an individual patient circumstance? So let's start by looking at this matched adjusted indirect comparison between varenicline nasal spray and lefitograst, varenicline evaluated as part of the pivotal trial program in onset two, and lefitograst evaluated as part of the pivotal trial program in opus one. So remember that this matching has now, uh, has now occurred. There's been kind of careful baseline stratification and evaluation of patients to try to compare just the therapies against the efficacy measure, which here is baseline Shermer test score. 
Now, if we really take a step back and think about the treatment options that we have and think about the efficacy measures that we're looking at, it really depends on not only the patient profile, but what we know about the mechanism of action of the drug that we're considering. So Laura is going to go into more relevant detail about varenicline and the way that it is perceived to work. But what we know based on clinical trial data is that it increases tear production. So change in Shermer score test is a very valid measurement of varenicline's clinical efficacy that we can think about what that would look like or how that may be used in clinic. When we look at lefitograst, one of the challenges here is that although lefitograst and the data related to change in Shermer score testing was included in the new drug application, it was determined with statistical analysis that there was no significant difference in uh, treatment related to change in Shermer test score. So that background knowledge can already give us some information about what we might expect in this direct comparison, looking at this one clinical efficacy measure. So to keep threading this, this glaucoma analogy through, when we think about glaucoma therapy, we ultimately look at lowering intraocular pressure. Of course, it's very different when we talk about dry eye disease, that we have different clinical efficacy measures. And ultimately, depending on the drug that we're evaluating, we may weigh our clinical thought more on one efficacy measure versus another. So here's what we see. We do see that there is an improvement in uh, the active ingredient varenicline in comparison to its vehicle control when we look at change in Shermer test score. Now, one of the challenges, again, when we look at lefitograst in thinking about the vehicle versus the active medication, we know that there is a vehicle effect that exists in topical ophthalmic medications. So we do not see a statistical significant difference uh, in the increase or change in Shermer test score from baseline in the uh, lefitograst group, both at two weeks and at six weeks, although we do see that significant difference uh, when we look at the varenicline data. If we look at Zydra or lefitograst in the Opus 2 study, uh, we do see a very similar profile that once again, there is a significant difference in that baseline or the change in Shermer test score in the varenicline group, both at two weeks and at four weeks in comparison to lefitograst at two weeks and at six weeks. Now, here's another challenge that we come into, uh, that we encounter here, is that the endpoints or the clinical trial time points are different between these two trials. So we do have data for both uh, for both treatments at two weeks. And varenicline, we have four-week data. And lefitograst, we have six-week data that we are overall incorporating. So that discrepancy sometimes in signs and symptoms is, of course, something that uh, we need to consider in thinking about managing our patient's expectations with the treatment and managing our own expectations with what we might expect in a treatment as well. So if we look at the change in eye dryness score, once again, we do see a significant difference of varenicline both at two weeks and four weeks in comparison to lefitograst at two and six weeks. And the lefitograst data in Opus 2, in this particular program of the pivotal trials uh, related to lefitograst, we do see that there is a significant difference in lefitograst from its vehicle control related to patient symptoms uh, at six weeks. 
But once again, varenicline pulls away with a greater change uh, in baseline from baseline idrinus score at four weeks versus lefitograst over six weeks. So we're comparing two drugs using statistics to try to uh, normalize effectively the inclusion and exclusion criteria to be able to more directly look at the potential treatment effect. So let's take a different approach. Let's look at a network meta-analysis, and this really allows for pooling of data. This was a study that was performed outside of the United States and included seven treatments, three of which are available in the United States. So this particular program had a very, very strict inclusion criteria. So not every trial or study was incorporated into this meta-analysis, again, to really carefully be able to compare these data. So here's the complexity. We are not statisticians, we're clinicians, and working through some of these high-level analytics can be really challenging. So there have been markers that have been developed that can give us some insight in kind of a brief overview in the relative efficacy of a particular treatment. Now, the marker that we're going to use here is something called surface under cumulative ranking or the SUCRA score. This is a percentage from zero to 100. The higher the percentage, really the greater likelihood that a therapy is in the top ranks of a treatment. Now, just because a drug or a treatment has a high super score, score, it doesn't mean it's the best treatment. Overall, this is kind of a relative consideration. And what we see when we look at OSDI score is that cyclosporine ophthalmic emulsion, 0.05%, uh, was considered to be the most effective in improving or reducing OSDI score. Now, drugs that are not available in the United States had the highest SUPRA scores for other measures. Now, the only piece that I'm cautious about when we're breaking down complex analytics into a single marker is thinking about trying to oversimplify sometimes. Can we break the, this large amount of data into just a single parameter? It's almost like uh, FDA pregnancy labeling. So we learned about eight years ago when that shift happened from our regulatory body to move away from just a, a letter grade to replacing that data in the package insert with all available laboratory or clinical data related to the potential efficacy and safety of a product in a, a, a pregnant individual. So we kind of saw the opposite, the over uh, inclusion of data that ultimately what that's led us to do as clinicians is go to that data source, interpret that data, and then apply it to a patient case. And we've moved away from that potential oversimplification and relying on just one parameter. So Dr. Shen Li and her group have taken a different approach to evaluating clinical data, and they've taken really this comprehensive review of looking at preclinical data and pivotal trial data related specifically here to four treatments, three of which are available in the United States, two cyclosporin formulations, and lefitograst 5%. So again, as we're thinking about the potential mechanism of action of a particular drug or a group of drugs, choosing 
effective or relevant efficacy markers is really valuable. And here we're looking at conjunctival staining, uh, a known parameter associated with dry eye disease severity. And what we see is, of course, through all four treatments, there is an improvement from baseline conjunctival staining. That was greatest in the cyclosporin ophthalmic emo, uh, solution 0.09% group. And the efficacy was achieved at improvement was achieved in the shortest time period in the lefitograst group. So we can also look at phase two data related to a water-free formulation of cyclosporin 0.1%, now known as Vivai, and cyclosporin uh, water-free 0.05% in comparison to uh, cyclosporin ophthalmic emulsion 0.05%. This was an open-label study. Patients knew that they were receiving cyclosporin ophthalmic emulsion 0.05% because it looks different from the water-free cyclosporin formulations available in a multi-dose bottle. We're looking at fluorescein corneal staining and change over time, an effective marker of inflammation in these treatments that have anti-inflammatory effect. And what we see is improvement in total corneal fluorescein staining pattern across all groups, greatest in the uh, cyclosol or water-free cyclosporin groups. And if we look specifically at the central corneal fluorescein staining, often a marker that our patients relate to that central visual acuity and the feeling or the experience of blurred vision, uh, once again, we see that there is a quick, that shorter term improvement in central corneal fluorescein staining in the two cyclosol groups, specifically here in relation to the cyclosporin ophthalmic emulsion group. And once again, we do see clinical effect related to cyclo uh, conjunctival lysamine green staining uh, in the cyclosol groups in comparison to the cyclosporin ophthalmic emulsion 0.05% and the vehicle control as well. So it's not just about therapeutic agents. Of course, we are thinking about uh, which in-office treatments may be most effective, specifically here in our patients with meibomian gland dysfunction. And here we've got something a little bit more palatable, these more head-to-head -head comparisons. This was a one-month study to evaluate tear care in comparison to Lipiflow in improving patient symptoms uh, in a group of patients with meibomian gland dysfunction. Looking at the group of patients as a whole, there was no significant difference between patients who received tear care and Lipiflow. Where this becomes interesting is that patients with more severe disease, that means a lower meibomian gland secretion score on the right-hand side, for patients who were treated with tear care, there was a statistically significant improvement in their dry eye disease-related symptoms in comparison to the Lipiflow group. So giving us evidence here that tear care uh, for all patients is a reasonable approach in comparison to Lipiflow and may have some incre uh, increased improvement in dry eye symptoms in those patients who are more severe. Now, finally, what about longer term studies? One month is wonderful, but does this treatment last? If we look at ILUX in comparison to Lipiflow, this is a one-year study that was designed as a non-inferiority study. So it wasn't designed to show that one treatment may potentially be better than another, but to show that in this particular case, 
Ilux was non-inferior to Lipiflow in the change in non-invasive tear breakup time over a full 12-month period. And once again, Ilux was non-inferior to Lipiflow in change in my Bomian gland score, short-term after treatment at that one-month interval, as well as maintaining that effect through 12 months. So that is a huge amount of data that we've tried to digest in this short period of time. I think bringing this back into thinking about how we evaluate patients in, in our office, how we choose a treatment option, and how we may choose one treatment over another really relates to our understanding of these specific treatments and potentially how we may incorporate some of these very new, very current studies that attempt to compare treatments across clinical trials as well. Thank you so much for that detailed overview. It's fantastic. And I really appreciate you know, some of those uh, comparison studies. I think the the upshot is that um, you know, use, use what you have because it works, right? Um, the, the most effective uh, in-office MGD treatment modality is the one that you have and that you use. So uh, they all, I loved seeing things like that. And uh, the medication overview was really powerful as well. So thank you for that excellent overview. Get your button ready, all the, all the participants. And question is, which of the following therapies, new and emerging therapies, have you used? And select all that apply. Veroniclin nasal spray, ITIR 100, lodopredinol suspension, cyclosporin solution, Perfluoral hexyl octane solution, cyclosporin ophthalmic solution, and lotaloner ophthalmic solution. Please select all that you have tried. And I think uh, our panelists have probably tried all of these as well. Have you tried them all? I will say as an optometrist in Florida, we have a topical formulary. So from a clinical perspective, when we have a new molecule that exists, we've got a bit of a delay until we can use that in our patients. Interesting. Yeah, Laura, all of them pretty much except for cyclosporin ophthalmic solution 0.1%. We were a phase three clinical trial site for, for this. So I can um, say that we've we've tried them all. We appreciate all of these different tools, but super excited to see what the poll shows. I think we're about ready, and here we go. Oh, this is this is great. So uh, about a third have tried the nasal spray to stimulate tear production. Not many people have tried the mechanical device. We'll talk about uh, the mechanical version of that. The lodopredinol suspension, uh, Isuvis. That's a nice high number, seventy percent. Appreciate that. Sequa ophthalmic solution, uh, two thirds. That's great. Mybo's brand new and we're already at 3%. I mean, that just was made available two weeks ago. It was finally available in the pharmacy. So that's fantastic. I appreciate everyone's forward thinking and looking for new solutions for their patients. Uh, Vivai, uh, we've got at 20%. And uh, Lotaloner, Xdemvi, again, brand new, two to three weeks ago, and already we're at 7%. So kudos to all of you for being open-minded and trying all these exciting new modalities.